0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the P2P Soapbox. I'm your host and P2P BFF, Marcy Maxwell. And today we are tackling an often misunderstood topic DIY or do it yourself fundraising. And of course, we're not talking about raising money while renovating your bathroom. I'll admit I've had a bit of a love hate relationship with the term DIY. The idea of our supporters raising their hands to host their own fundraisers for our missions is really inspiring and empowering. However, the phrase DIY is a bit of a misnomer and implies a hands-off approach as in they don't need our help, they're just fundraising themselves. But in reality, the most successful DIY programs in our field recognize that individuals who start their own fundraising events sometimes are even more passionate and invested in our cause than those who participate in our traditional walks, runs, and rides. The most successful programs are prioritizing building relationships with these individuals and providing support and resources to ensure their success. So maybe we should take a page from our HGTV friends. Just think about all the videos and tutorials that are out there for how to DIY a project in your home. While yes, someone is taking the action on their own, they aren't doing so without seeking out expert advice and support. And speaking of expert advice, I am really delighted to welcome today's podcast guest and our first Canadian guest too. Becky Mitz is the Vice President of Marketing, Communications, and Development for Ovarian Cancer Canada, an organization dedicated to supporting people who have been affected by ovarian cancer with resources and community. Ovarian Cancer Canada rejects the notion that ovarian cancer can't be eradicated. Becky is a veteran of the P2P industry, having also led large national programs at MS Canada and the Canadian Cancer Society before coming to her current role. In our conversation, Becky will dive into her most recent project, tackling and growing the DIY program at Ovarian Cancer Canada. Becky will share her team's journey to truly understanding their DIY landscape and how she made the case to her leadership team about the need to prioritize it and invest. We'll also talk about the challenges and frankly, outdated perspectives that often hold back organizations from developing a truly intentional, proactive DIY fundraising strategy. Plus, she'll share her perspectives on how DIY and third-party fundraisers can be a hotbed for creativity and a great testing ground for new, innovative ideas. So let's jump right into my chat with Ovarian Cancer Canada's Becky Mitz. Welcome to the P2P Soapbox. We're so happy to have you, our very first Canadian guest on the podcast today. Oh, I feel so
1: honored. I feel like Celine having your moment at the Grammys (laughs) (laughs) coming, coming And But thanks, Marcy. I feel like I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. So really excited to be here.
0: I've always wanted somebody to say that. I love it. <laughs> um, well, Becky, I know I kind of told uh, the audience a little bit about you in our introduction, but I want to hear it from you. So can you tell us a little bit about the your personal and professional journey that led you to your current role at Ovarian Cancer Canada?
1: Yeah, so I'm one of like a rare few, I feel at least in Canada, that chose fundraising as a career. So when I finished my undergraduate degree and I was taking some time off, really trying to figure out my next steps, I knew I wanted to go into the nonprofit world and actually enrolled in an incredible program we have here in Toronto, Ontario, um, at Humber College. I did a post-grad in fundraising and volunteer management. And so kind of like through that, and obviously there was so much education and focus on Major gifts and corporate philanthropy and direct response or direct mail and prospect research. Um, and you know, and the events are really gala. I kind of, when I was going into the job. I'm Be like, I don't really think like this is all for me. Like I really love that like grassroots. I come from small town Ontario. Both sets of my grandparents were farmers. I love that community aspect of people rattling around to make change. And so found myself uh, quite quickly in the peer to peer world and have had the privilege in working on some of Canada's largest programs of the Canadian Cancer Society, working in Relay for Life at MS Canada with MS Walk, MS Spike, We Challenge. Um, And through that kind of career, both organizations have had the opportunity to work on all types of not only events and P2P programs, but fundraising campaigns um, and marketing. And so as I was looking at this opportunity with Ovarian Cancer Canada, because I've only been here for eight months, it's just like, it just felt like such a natural progression. And I think too, just thinking about it, so many times, I just wish there was more alignment with development offices and marketing. Um, and because OCC is a smaller organization, getting to step into a role that has both, I was just so excited about the possibility instead of, you know, always complaining about, oh, the tension or, oh, we're not quite aligned, just being like, oh, actually we get to
0: be aligned because we're a part of the same team working through the same objectives. I love that. And, and so true. We actually just talked about that on one of our last episodes. So you've been there about eight months at this point, And it sounds, what you've explained to me is that ovarian cancer Canada has really gone through an overhaul of its DIY, you know, or do it yourself, uh, or third party fundraising, whatever the term you choose. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that process has looked like? You know, first of all, why? Why DIY? Why was this an organizational priority as you came in? And um, what steps have you taken to kind of evaluate that program? Tell us about yeah. it. Yeah.
1: So one thing is Ovarian Cancer Canada. So we are small, but we're the only charity in Canada dedicated to ovarian cancer. So it's the most fatal women's cancer. You know, th- through one person every eight hours is being diagnosed with the disease. Gosh. One person every five hours is passing away from the disease. So we're not only the National Security, but we have this really bold mission and strategy that we don't accept the notion that ovarian uh, cancer can't be eradicated. We wanna be really bold and really pushing that forward and really making it a top of mind issue. And we just went through a complete rebrand of the organization. Um, you can check out our, our website. Our logo now is the Female Reproductive System. So like right in our brand imagery is, like, is what we are. So you, what's unique in that then, if you're somebody who's impacted by ovarian cancer, and you want to act. Yes, you might have your local hospital, or your cancer center, but we're, we're the place to go to. So we play this really special role in finding um, or giving space for people to be empowered to take action. So when it came to our DIY program, is one, we have this really healthy program that has been just kind of not a side of the desk project because we have this incredible manager, her name is Courtney Willis, one of the strongest relationship managers, fundraisers. She's just, you know, radiates joy. People love her. So she's been able to steward people. We have this really successful portfolio, but when we looked at it, it was really difficult for people to find it. It was really difficult for people to register. It was unclear what we were asking people to do. And so it was kind of like an aha moment to be like, not only is the timing with our rebrand great as a time to really look at all of our signature properties and how we're refreshing or how we're leveraging this opportunity for growth, but too, we have this phenomenal program and we have the right staff um, kind of support. Like, why wouldn't we invest in it? Because if it's making this amount of money and we have this many people activated with a little bit of effort, we think we could do a lot more and really sub- substantially grow the program. And so it was a bit of an, it was really an easy,
0: easy decision. So where did you begin when you said, okay, We're going to, we're going to dig in and we're going to put some more investment behind this. Kind of where, where did that process start?
1: So line coming from my experience, you know, at MS and having just kind of, you know, rebranded and did a just ton of work on the We Challenge MS program, which is their program, kind of, you know, new and firsthand saw the experience of what like marketing DIY looks like, right? People are always worried about, you know, well, how can we market something that's so broad or choose your mm-hmm. own adventure? Well, you can, you just break it down. You create audiences based on the types of people you have and you test, you start small, and then you go bigger, but that, you know, you can market or sometimes you get in your head, depending on what your, you know, online systems are to be like, Oh, well, we can't do an email communication strategy the same way. Cause they don't have an event date consistently. We're um, not doing things right. Like we get into our head about what we can't do instead of focusing on, but like, Oh my gosh, we can use these other tools, you know? autoresponders. We can group like with like. We can be creative. Um, I just think we've put some of our own, you know, boxes against when our walk and our cycle events projected onto our third party DIY programs being like impossible without really thinking about what is possible there's so much you can automate there's so much you can do um and i think you're really seeing some like really successful programs really leverage this which you know yeah. so i mean i saw this at ms like i've been loving what's been happening with drive february with the canadian cancer society which is still that people taking action you could say Movember november is you know mm-hmm. similar yes it's grass for a- a a campaign. But it just really shows me
0: there's such a desire in the marketplace for people to take action in this way. Absolutely. And I think for a long time, you know, there was this feeling of people who wanted to do their own fundraising event. It was they were kind of treated second class, right? Because in our fundraiser mindset, we're like, but I have a goal for the walk, or I have a goal for the bike ride. And I want you to come raise your $5,000 for the event that's going to help me hit my budget budget, instead of allowing them to do it their own way. And I mean, you know, to fundraise when they want to and not to be tied to what we quote unquote need from a numbers standpoint. So, What what have you been learning about your fundraisers? I know the process is not done um, with kind of how you're revitalizing this, but what are you learning along the way? Like, how is that starting to shape your approach to messaging, to branding, to relationship building?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, to go back to your other comment about numbers, I think you're so right. And one of the blessings about working in a small shop is that our director of the portfolio, Amanda Statton brilliant strategist, that she has it all. And so when I'm working with her and setting numbers and objectives, of course, we're looking at our programs and each program specifically and each coming up the plan and what we're looking to accomplish and how, but we're also looking at that bigger number. And I think that's too, again, small shop uniquely positioned for that, but such a breath of fresh air and something that I think larger shops should really take into consideration because it's not about the ups and downs. It's really about how we're activating community and whether they choose walk or another event or diy it really doesn't matter that they're they're acting and they're activating so about their fundraisers i mean what we're learning about them mercy is that they are stellar right like these are just people again ovarian cancer is fatal and it is can be dark and sad and we just have a community of people who are not letting that hamper them for spreading joy and love and life into the world and so the creativity among the portfolio uh, and how people is just so inspiring and such a wealth of storytelling so again from a marketing perspective we're sitting on a gold mine of these stories that are directly tied to our cause with people who are acting and i'm so excited to think about how that can inspire more people and how we can leverage that. The other thing that I think we're really learning about our community is that they respond to the same stewardship tactics that our other peer-to-peer participants do. So, and, you know, really taking that moment to get to know them, to set goals, to work with them. Um, and again, talking from, we don't have a massive staff. So, but like prioritizing the relationships and making sure the relationships with our P, our DIY third party participants is a priority. Um, the work will result in increased fundraising, higher retention rates, all those things we know. So it's kind of like proving, I think, a theory a lot of us have had for a long time that, you know, we take best practices from one, we adapt it to fit, you know, a slightly different program, but the basics are the basics for a reason and they're tried
0: and true. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we keep hearing that more and more where, you know, I think the uh, the days of what's the next big thing, what's the next big innovation is focusing more on what are those incremental changes we can make to the basics because we know the basics work. Uh, We don't exist in the same world anymore. We have new tools at our discretion, which is great, but that doesn't replace the concrete relationship building. Um, And I think, you know, I've always... Uh, kind of struggled a little bit when it comes to um, your DIY or your third-party fundraising programs, because I think people are hesitant to talk about people's goals, right? And I don't know why, I mean, that's a, it's a misplaced fear. I'm Canadian, right?
1: right? So like, we don't want to be talking about this. We're very nice, polite <laughs> people. But what I've always talked to like all of my teams and my personal thing is that when people are signing up for a fundraiser, they know it's a fundraiser when they're being prompted to set up a goal, they're not thinking this is a nice thing to do just for the sake of doing it. It's not a social. The way in which we're putting people through a funnel clearly communicates that person. The expectation is to donate, to fundraise, to rally your community in support of it. So it's almost weird not to talk about it, Right. right? It's one of those like awkward people conversations that we've decided that money is a weird thing to chat about. My other really piece, and I think it's worked with me. Well I've heard this a million times is that our community members who are participating in our programs, bless them, fundraising is not their full-time job. It's not their thing. They get paid to do other things that they are good at, that they are leaders in, they know it we are getting paid by the organization. We're being paid to drive revenue, to drive our organization forward. It's our job to bring people along and not only talk about goal setting, but really prep them on how to fundraise and what that looks like.
0: Right, and often, you know, the the ones who sign up to do their own thing, in some ways, again, to your point, they know it's a fundraiser, as opposed to, I'm gonna go to this walk where maybe it's, I'm just joining a friend and I'm not as familiar with the cause. Like there's a different yeah. level, not to malign our, our walk fundraisers at all, but there's a different level of commitment or a different level of engagement. More like a team captain, somebody for a walk who says, I'm going to raise my hand. And I'm going to do more than the bare minimum. And I think that's where treating them in, you know, as a, as a major gatherer, treating them as someone who is, you know, Coming into this with the right set of expectations, I think, is is really oh, key. See, I just had this like like brainwave because I've been talking to Amanda, our director here, about
1: activation rates. Right, the people who are you know making a donation, doing something for walk. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're always gonna have zero dollar people. Bless them. They are coming to support people. Yep. and walks are inclusive, accessible initiative. We want that. We want that community building. But I'm gonna, I like, I haven't seen the numbers on this, and I'm interested. I'm gonna see you. We don't have that issue with DIY. Like I don't right. think we have zero dollar fundraisers. They're they're coming right. and they're activating. And so you think about that group of people and the ability to work with them to increase revenue. But also tie them into other parts of your organization. Where's the corporate partnership angle? Where are, you know, where are we looking at the major gift capacity and working with our philanthropy or major gift colleagues in terms of cultivation plans? You know, where's the opportunity for leadership volunteers and board members? Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's just such a funnel for so much more.
0: Absolutely. So you mentioned kind of earlier when, while DIY and third party presents all these great opportunities for so many organizations, you know, there's also some unique set of challenges that sometimes... Uh, We let stop us right from doing something. So talk to me a little bit about those challenges. And what you know, how is your team trying to overcome both, you know, the big strategic challenges, and just some of those more tactical, sometimes technology challenges? Well, one, I think too, we all want to increase revenues
1: and, and grow, and so I think that there is like this innate challenge. Is a lot of our DIY third-party programs are smaller than our signature event properties. They just are. We haven't invested in them in the same way. They haven't had the same in-person activation. There's so many reasons for it, right? But they're smaller, and so I think you know historically there's been this issue of getting leadership to buy into being like, well, we need to invest in our online infrastructure. We need to invest in marketing and all these things when you're when you're looking at the bigger picture to be like, well, why? Because like, you know, if you just think about this logically, it makes more sense to continue to invest in the bigger buckets where we know that there's going to be a return. And I think there's some, you know, unknown with DIY and third party, which I think is why as a sector, let's talk about our numbers. Like, I'm not afraid to use examples from my previous organizations, or I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and call somebody somewhere else. Like, I think that there's so much we could be doing about lifting up this area because we know it's a huge area of growth. All of the key performance indicators so i think that part you know that part's a challenge this is like reframing it Mm -hmm. getting buy-in and not to feel like we're competing against each other in this space right Mm -hmm. we have different causes we have you know even for those of us that are in the same cause space you know our call of action our call to support is different than yours like Mm -hmm. we can all have space enough for all um I think the other, you know, part of that challenge is a lot of the online systems we use were not made for third party fundraising. They just weren't. And so, I mean, there's so many great, um, you know, innovative things happening here and some platforms that I, you know, I've had the pleasure of working for that I think are great, but they are, you know, small. So for some of us that are in these like historical online structures that were really meant for the walks and the bikes and all of that, which is amazing. And they're like best in class for those. They weren't necessarily meant for that personal team raiser and they haven't been innovating at the same. Mm-hmm. So you are working, you know, square Pay, round hole, great, you know, maybe overused, <laughs> but you do have to be creative. So when it comes to your communications and what you're on And how you're building these online, you do have to invest in some customizations, or you do have to really think about, okay, it's not ideal, but how do we still maximize it? Like, let's not Mm -hmm. let you know our infrastructure really prevent us from doing the good work. But it does create um, the need and for you to create time to really think that through and go through that user experience, where again, a lot of our systems for Walk and Bike are out of the box thinking about that user experience from the get go.
0: Yep. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And it, it can fill a little square peg round hole, um, especially when you're trying to, to balance, um, maybe one system at an organization or one or two systems and not have, you know, a million different options um, out there. Yeah. So you talked about, so you all, um, ovarian cancer Canada also has walks of hope, um, as kind of one of your more traditional peer to peer programs. So, how does this mesh with what you're doing on the DIY side? Is there much crossover? You know, how do they build on each other? Kind of what's that relationship like between these two different but similar programs?
1: Well, yeah. So you're absolutely right. Walk of Hope is our signature walk program. The first Walk of Hope, uh, you know, was in the, the 90s. I think the way it expanded over the 2000s. So we're a little bit in a different, you know, life cycle than some of the historic, you know, larger walks in our market. Um, and it's interesting, right? I think a lot of our teams use DIY. Third party fundraising to raise money like any, you know, any does some of them use our systems and some of them don't because there's always that crossover around money and how it's calculated. And, you know, again, a lot of internal stuff that we project onto our fundraisers, which I hate, but I think too, it's interesting. Marcy, I would say we are not so sophisticated yet to have really figured out the mesh between them. I think there's so much opportunity to start thinking as people like retire from walk because people don't walk forever there mm-hmm. is a life cycle for a walk participant is how do we start connecting them to DIY so they can still activate their networks they can still do something you know maybe it's less maybe it's more but I think that there is a really great opportunity to think about that and instead of being like oh well Bob you know it's his 10th year he's he's told us he's leaving us and we celebrate Bob and we're so happy that he's been engaged with us I think you know really equipping our team to have those conversations about well, okay well how do we trip transition Bob over here. And what does that look like and how can we support? I think the other thing though, that, you know, I'm really big on is not making assumptions for our community. So somebody may walk one year and then maybe they want to go do one of the big marathons instead of a personal team fundraiser and become part of our running stream over here in the DIY third party program. Amazing. Bless them. Yep. Let's not put our participants and our community in a box. Let's really be open that they may have different ways that they want to activate on any given year for whatever their reason is. You know, people are dynamic, people's interests change. Um, and so really meeting where people are at and not try to compete, have the two programs compete, but really work together.
0: So, Becky, you know, you've been in the peer-to-peer space for a while, right? So if there's somebody who's listening that's maybe whether they're new to the world of peer-to-peer or they're new kind of to the world of DIY, what, what advice would you give them from your, your years of experience? Um, I promise this wasn't pre planned, but I would say like go to the P2P forum,
1: connect with colleagues, pick yes. up the phone. It's such um, an incredible group of people I find that are. I did not ask to... her to say this. <laughs> it is true, but this is, I i really believe it. I think by the first time I was at the P2P forum and I mean, partly the Canadian P2P world, it is smaller. The industry is smaller. It's not always been such a priority in development offices. Like it seems to be in the U S they're just different markets. And I remember going to the first time and it was in Orlando and just, I was, Blown away by just the sheer number of people in the room. It was bigger than any AFP conference I'd been to, any of the fundraising stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are all peer to peer people. They are mm-hmm. like doing and speaking and the language that I speak. And I think that there is so much to value in building your network of colleagues with like organizations, with different organizations, big and small. Like there's just so much to learn. And I think, mm-hmm. especially with DIY, some of the most successful programs are happening in small shops so you go to these bigger organizations or the hospitals you know amazing programs but there's also really amazing creative stuff happening in all sizes so I think you know network build it and don't be afraid to ask questions and also don't feel like you have to be like overly sensitive or careful or precious about your own information and data and insights. so really build that uh, there is, I feel like, you know, DIY has been around for so long. Third party has been around for so long. However, it does feel, I think, like coming out of the pandemic, um, there's like this new world, a new activation, mm-hmm. um, happening in creativity. So yeah, ask questions. Build your network, you know, create some roundtable spaces, go to the conference and just really get out there and talk and ask lots of questions. The next thing I would say to somebody who's is new to this is just pick up the phone and like pull your list, get somebody to pull your list for you. And obviously you got to know your big players. So you're going to look at those big numbers. They're, you know, obviously critical, but then pick a few from each kind of level. So when you look at, you know, the range of people fundraising, Pick people in the lower 20%, you know, the mid-level high tier and just start asking them questions, right? It's yeah. great because it's a stewardship touch point, but it is such valuable information. How did they find out about your program? You know, where where did they land? Were they Googling? Did somebody tell them about it? Did they see an ad start to get this more, you know, qualitative information from them, asking them about their motivation. It's such a great stewardship touch point for these people. But for you to start to really be a part of it and being able to talk the language that your people are talking is so important. I think the more you're invested in this community, the more successful you're going to be. And again, I feel like I'm talking about my team a lot because they're stellar. But I think about Courtney Willis that we have, I think one of the reasons our program so successful is that she makes everybody feel like a star and she remembers personal details about them. She's invested in the event success just as much as they are. So build those relationships just just like you would, and then test things. DIY, third party, you have so much more opportunity to innovate and be creative than any other program. One, mm-hmm. because a lot of organizations aren't gonna really care what you're doing. If we're really being honest, you can do some things and fly under the radar. And I think there's a lot of like low cost opportunities that you can yeah. you can do, you can test, you can learn from. Um, and they're not going to slow your results that much. And so if you try something and it's a flop, Like what's really the impact, right? So I think from a cost benefit, um, innovation's real. And the next thing for people that, you know, are are new to this world that I think about a lot is, you know, a lot of us get asked, what's your next thing? What's your next walk? What's your next bike event? You know, when I was at MS and, you know, we had Muck, Muck MS and that was only for a few years, which was great, but like, okay, what's our next Muck? What's the next test? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe do we need to hire an agency and do a discovery and do all this work? And the answer is like, you don't. You probably just need to be looking at your DIY fundraisers right. and really keeping track, not just revenue and participation, but the types of activity. Because I feel really strongly that if, you, if your organization's ready for the next thing, your community's already telling you what that next thing is and how mm-hmm. great would it be to go to market and start testing a concept where there's already momentum and movement within your base of support.
0: Yeah, I often think about, I know the the program you were talking about, the the Muck, Muck Fest, Muck MS, and those, the idea of the mud and obstacle runs and those had their time, right? Yeah. That was what the community wanted for a little while. And I think, You know, both, um, you know, MS Canada and, uh, you know, the National MS Society raised a ton of money with it for a short amount of time. And that's okay. It doesn't have to turn into the next big program. As I think that's the other piece with testing is sometimes there's ideas that pop up and maybe they work really, really well and raise a ton of money for two years. And that's it. And that is okay. I think we sometimes get into assuming everything is going to be the next legacy program instead of just saying, this is where we're meeting the community today and for the next couple of years. And it may, you know, migrate to something else later down the road. And that is okay.
1: Oh my gosh, Marcy, you're reminding me. Um, Betty Ross used to be at the National oh, yes. Multiple Scroces site. Yeah, just like a powerhouse. I don't even think I was with MS when I heard her speak. I think it was at the P2P forum. She was talking about fest maybe it was like the first year. Um, And the way she spoke about it is something that has like just stayed with me over the years, which is like, oh, we owe it to the person living with MS to do the thing, to try to raise the money. And maybe it's one year and maybe it's 10 But like in that whatever time frame, Mm -hmm. if it is going to raise millions of dollars and fuel the next discovery, my goodness, what a loss it would be if we put our own bureaucracy in the way of doing that. And I was like, that is an incredible way of, I mean, she's amazing, but just like shaping that to be like, right, sometimes we get so stuck in to be like, oh, but I think like, what if this is only two years? Or what if it's this? And just like changing the narrative to be like, what if we activated tens of thousands of people to raise millions of dollars? Yeah. Incredible. And I think going back to our causes, we owe it to try. We owe it to them.
0: We yeah. owe it to them, our, our missions uh, to do that work and not let ourselves get into the way. I actually think I might've been in that room with you, Becky, because I also remember <laughs> Becky talk, but, um, Betty talking about that. Um So I have no doubt that people who've been listening are inspired by what you're talking about, by what your organization is doing. So um, where can people learn about the great work at, Ovarian Cancer Canada. If they want to start their own DIY fundraiser, what can they do?
1: Um, well, first of all, Marcy, thank you so much. I
0: just love
1: every every opportunity I, I get to talk to you. So, one is we're about to launch our new DIY program. So stay with us for like a little a little bit longer. In the meantime, you can go to our website, ovariancanada.org. You can take the pathways, you know, take action. I'll lead you to our current third party. It's obviously still alive and well, but it is so great. We've been working um, with an agency partner doing good digital. And, you know, we're so happy the way it's shaping up, the user experience, the look, the feel. We have a new name for it. Um, The focus on community. So yes, you you might be doing your singular thing, but you're joining a community of people to take action and really rallying around that. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, it will be launched um sometime in March, definitely by April, April first. Yes. So again, if any of my teams listening, I might be like
0: causing some sweaty armpits, but um, we're getting really really close to launch. So yeah, that really is fantastic. Well, we will um share the link to a cancer candidate in our show notes and we can also add the diy link once it's actually ready you'll send it back to us um but Be- uh becky it was so great to chat with you today and just thank you so much for sharing all your great wisdom um your your unsolicited plug for the peer-to-peer form, um, and just all, all your great advice uh, thanks so much marcy the b2p soapbox is produced in partnership with true story fm engineering by pete wright music this week is by balloon planet If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support the P2P Soapbox is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.